Welcome to this week's Two Men in the Middle. This is where two men in the middle of the country get together and talk about politics, current events, and other fun stuff. I'm Craig Huey. I'm Brandon Kinnig. I think we took our longest break there, Brandon, since the pandemic started. We were off for like six weeks. We did, yeah, because I think our last podcast was right after the war in Ukraine erupted, and so we were analyzing the impact of that just within a week or 10 days after that started. March 2020, we we stopped meeting to podcast because we didn't know if meeting was going to be a deadly thing and if we were all going to be dead. (laughs) So luckily, that uh, that didn't happen. Right. Uh, we took six weeks off. I was in Florida. My father had a stroke on December 14th, I believe. He's in the hospital for a couple months, so I was down there helping his transition from hospital. And how is uh, he recovering? He's doing, doing good. He's good. doing good. Strokes are a long, they're a long arc recovery. And it's one thing that the, and strokes are something that there, there's so many gray areas. Anytime you ask your doctor or anybody about, you know, what's going to happen next, you're always going to, ne- you never get a solid answer. It always, it could be this, it could be that, because every stroke is different. But he's doing good. He's back up on his feet. He's doing some walking. Uh, he went through uh, home, his home health care people have been outstanding, and he's heading to um, outpatient therapy to finish his recovery. Oh, so he's, he's doing good. So I was down there for five weeks. Glad I had the, the time available to do it, and it was a, uh, it was a great experience spending that much time with my parents and being able to help my dad. So, you know, you hear a lot about caretaking for elderly parents. It is certainly a difficult job, but it's got some, it's got some rewards to it too. Yeah. And I was down in what apparently now is the, is the state that has become the, the, uh, the ground zero for all Republican culture war battles, Florida with Ron DeSantis and his, uh, his fight with Disney there. Yeah, I well, and his fights with everybody, right? I mean, between <laughs> choosing the math textbooks for the state to Good saying he's going to go after Twitter for uh, denying Elon Musk takeover bid, which like how how can he go after Twitter? I just, but yeah, I think the Disney fight is the the most critical one, and obviously has the most attention because Disney is such a large tourism draw to Florida yeah. and economic uh, yeah. impact is cannot be overstated. And people have said this over and over again. But, you know, if it wasn't for Disney, like, there would be nothing in Orlando. It would be a swamp. Orlando wouldn't exist. I mean, that's the reason that Universal Studios yeah. uh, is there. SeaWorld is there. That's the reason that you have all these other high-tech jobs that are, have come to Orlando and the growth and development. It's all been on the back of Disney. And so it doesn't make a lot of sense to go after after Disney in this way, and particularly on these taxing districts, which have been in place since the 1960s, yeah. because, uh, you know, as we were saying offline, Disney is not unique in having this type of uh, taxing district yeah. structure. You have Daytona Speedway, Orlando International Airport, the villages in Florida that, that enjoy crazy, this. huge retirement village. Right. And so, yeah, the villages, for those that don't know, is basically a retirement community of homes. It's sprawling. It covers, I don't know how many, tens of thousands of acres. Yeah. But it has a population that's up to like 180,000 now people, and it has its own zip code, and it's completely maintained and controlled by the developer. Yeah. So it's, it's and, not a city, but it's like a sense designated place because it's so and, large and sprawling. And they, they got famous for their Trump parades. Yeah, that's right. Where people would load up their golf carts and, and do a Trump parade. And their incredibly high uh, incidence of sexually transmitted diseases. That's yes. what the village is, is basically known for. Senior citizens getting frisky. Bunch of horny, politically <laughs> active 80-year-olds in the village. Right. So let's back up a little bit. So I want to I want to take this from two different two different parts. One is from a what is traditional Republican 
uh, orthodoxy and view of the world and how that, how different what DeSantis is doing than what traditional Republican thought and ideology is and how far he is separating himself and, and his version of the Republican Party from what traditional Republicans have, from, from the beliefs that they have, they have held. Like, like, for example, this is straight payback to, from, from the governor to a business for not supporting the, the parental rights bill that was passed in Oh, absolutely. In it's retribution. We'll, we'll talk about what that bill is and if that's right or wrong, but, but using the government to directly punish a, a, a corporation for their, their political stance is something that the Republican Party has traditionally very much shied away from. Absolutely. In fact, they've been critical of the Democratic Party yes. for going after businesses that they don't like. I mean, their big thing is the market decides we don't pick winners and losers. Stay out of the way. Yeah. Well, that used to be, right? I think that was completely turned upside down in the Trump era. And then especially as we went into the pandemic, because you had state legislatures that were then passing laws telling businesses, you can't mandate masks for your employees. You can't mandate COVID test uh, yeah. or vaccine requirements, even as a private business. So the Republican Party has increasingly been encroaching on their rights of private businesses to set boundaries and policies for their employees. Uh, and But DeSantis is taking it to a different level because he's going after private business directly. And for those that need a refresher, this didn't start either with Disney. If you recall, during the pandemic, the cruise industry yeah. was implementing mask and testing requirements and vaccine requirements, and DeSantis was going after them, telling them, you can't do this. Again, one of the largest employers and economic yeah. impacts of the state. So this is just one example of many where DeSantis has directly targeted businesses when they have a policy he doesn't like. But he, has, again, takes it a step further because in the latest set of instances, he's going after businesses, uh, wielding the power of the state as yeah. a form of coercion and intimidation and to uh, when he's unhappy with what they've done. So it's retaliation in this case. It's not just saying we're going to micromanage what you do. Yeah. It's we're going after you because we don't like something you've said, something you've done, and we're going to you're going to face the consequences. We're going to punish you for it. It's punishing businesses for speech or other action yeah. they don't like. So one of the ways De DeSantis has moved the Republican Party into kind of his new whatever new territory he's going to take them in is one getting directly involved with businesses. The second thing he's done during the pandemic is I believe he enacted a law that overrode local Local authority when it came to mask mandates. Yes. So he is stepping down. He is he is stepping into local politics and dictating from the state level. Brandon, I've always heard from Republicans local that control. was a giant no no. Local yeah. control means everything. Well, and then Republicans started just giving lip service to it, and now they don't even give lip service. It's this idea that the executive should have ultimate sway over what happens at the local level and dictate yeah. that. Uh, to you know, and and so the the masking is a great example of that. There's other examples from DeSantis. There's other Republican examples, um, just within even in our state of Kansas, where the state legislature attempted to pass a law that would restrict local municipalities from passing requirements related to banning plastic mm -hmm. bags and um, having uh, requirements on recycling, that they wanted to take that authority away for, from the local uh, powers yeah. that be. So this is part of a broader trend as well within the country. So, Brandon, is, is DeSantis doing this 
as a way to carve out new territory to build the next version of the Republican Party on. Is DeSantis doing this because he doesn't believe in those kind of orthodoxies anymore, and he wants to move the party to a new a new I, I, ideological ground because he feels that's politically more competitive? Is he doing this because he's laying the groundwork and wants to up his name value on the national stage for a 2024 presidential run? Well, so I, I don't think it's being done out of ideology specifically. I don't think he's grounded to the ideology of uh, consolidating yeah. power, centralizing power, uh, you know, at the the state executive level. But it's a means to an end for him, as you mentioned. It's a way for him to uh, build up his uh, presidential ambitions and to build up a base of support. It's a way for him to uh, rise to the front um, as a front runner within the party. So I think he's leveraging it as a means to an end. I don't know. That it, it's difficult for me to tell whether or not he's a you know zealous believer in any of this, yeah. other than this gets me to where I need to go. And I forgot another example of that is him weighing into the, the math textbook debate on CRT <laughs> and equity and, and the textbooks. There's because not a again, hot button. He has not hit. No, and uh, and the textbook example is another instance of local control being subverted because usually it's the local school boards and the state school boards that decide textbook curriculum, not the governor, yeah. not the legislature yeah. weighing into that. So again, it's the state coming in and saying, we're going to make these decisions, not the bodies that were created specifically to handle these matters. And DeSantis knows if he gets up on the 2024 primary stage, he's going to be flanked on both sides by U.S. senators. And he's going to be able to very effectively start checking off all of these laws he passed in Florida and look at everybody on that stage because Holly's going to be on there, Cotton's going to be on there, Cruz is going to be on there and say, all you guys do is talk. Look what I've done. I've actually taken this fight into the legislative process and I have produced these laws. So while all these senators up here can talk about what they want to do, let's review kind of my, my, my bona fides, my credentialing that I've built up in my four years as governor to show you how I would be as president. That is extremely impactive. Yes, it's It really basically... nullifies the, all of the Republican senators. It's a MAGA fever dream wish yeah. list, right? I mean, it hits upon everything from CRT to mask and va- vaccine mandates to going after Disney for, yep. you know, uh, you know, the whole grooming, you know, de- debate and that's ridiculousness. That's the dumbest thing ever. And, and that's a whole other topic we can weigh into because that's become a whole thing within itself in terms of a strategy by the party to go after critics it doesn't like and yeah. to tag them with that label. But but yeah, this is all performative. It's all part of the outrage culture. It's the grievance culture. And it's tied to this idea of moving the Republican Party into a populist direction that's focused solely on grievance and mm-hmm. on outrage. And it's really even less about the results than drawing attention to it and showing that you're strong and going to take action. So really, the ideology doesn't matter anymore. It's just about using every lever of power at your disposal to just uh, completely obliterate the other side, yeah. the opposition, to put them in their place. I think you just said it. It's about the acquisition of power by any means necessary. 
In, what, Another good example we did a touch upon that's been understated, but the redistricting saga in Florida, for people that haven't followed that. He's just doing it all himself now. Yeah, so the legislature yeah. uh, has been battling the governor because they had a redistricting plan that was less ambitious than what the governor liked. The governor wanted to gerrymander it more and draw more Democrats mm-hmm. out of the congressional delegation. So uh, they butted heads, and finally the legislature just gave in and said, here, you can do it. draw it yourself yeah. and we'll vote, yeah, approve we'll it. Vote. I mean, think about that. The legislature has abdicated their responsibility. Statutes given responsibility. They're just following the trend that developed at the national (laughs) level, at the federal level. I mean, and letting the executive do this. This is not an executive power. And so, uh, you know, I remember flippantly tweeting something out like, you know, legislature, why do they even convene? They can just hand over the reins to the governor and let him, you know, rule by executive fiat. And don't you get a feeling that that's what they really want to do? What yeah. they'd really prefer to do is have the governor make most of these decisions. They react to them either for some sort of political gain that they liked it or, or they, they're opposed it, if that gives them the political gain. And that's what they do. It feels like anybody in a legislative body, either state or national, is looking for any way not to be able to be held, held accountable, accountable for anything that they've done. Right. And so a lot of parallels with the U.S. Congress, right, and the you know authority they've handed over to the executive branch over the last several years because they don't want to be held accountable, which is why more of these battles have shifted to the courts as the finer arbiter because the legislature won't do its job, yeah. its lawmaking authority. So, yeah, this is – and it all helps DeSantis. Uh, he's been able to amass immense power, I mean, over his tenure as governor. And we forget, like, I mean, he's not even done serving his oh, no. first four-year term. Yeah. I mean, it feels like much longer just because he's involved himself in every iota of yeah. controversy that he could gin up or magnify yeah. or amplify. Well, let's talk about the, the law, the don't say gay bill, which is kind of, that's not a very good title. It, yeah. It's caught on with the left and the media is caught on to it, but it really doesn't accurately, I don't think describe what this law No, is. there was an earlier version of the bill that was more problematic yes. that was uh, modified, and so it's not the same bill. Um, you know, this. Uh, so the, the, the bill itself that passed now basically specifies K through third, yeah. um, what can be taught in terms of gender identity, in terms of It basically um, says you can't teach anything. You can't teach any type of gender theory or right. sexual orientation to K through three. So it's not a don't say gay bill, although there is enough ambiguity still in some of the language, which gives pause to some of the opponents yeah. who say it's ambiguous enough to where if you have like a gay teacher who has a photo on his yeah. desk of his partner and a, uh, that, one of the students ask about it and he says who that is, is he violating yeah. the law then? And because, that's the second half of the bill that says even after K-3, through it has to be done at, in an age-appropriate manner. Yeah, but it never defines really define what is age-appropriate, right? Is. And so it's one of those... So this, this is where I struggle with these things. As a parent who had two kids go through public school... That sounds reasonable. I mean, we, those, those are topics that, that yes, need to be um, maybe touched upon, but certainly not to be dwelled upon from, from K through 3. So your first instinct as a parent to say, okay, that doesn't sound unreasonable. But then you get to the, is this problem happening now? Is this something that's actively right. happening that we're trying to? What is the size and is shape of this Is this a solution this in search of a problem? It certainly <laughs> feels like that might be. Because I can't find any examples. Nobody where showed this has an example of, of an where this was happening. Again, two parents brought this lawsuit, but that's that can be. There's any number of ways to sponsor people doing that. But the, I, the first thing I struggle with this issue, 
the trans issue, no one's ever defined the size and shape of the problem. Well, what are I, we actually talking about? Well, and I think what's well, even more problematic at a macro level, if you stand back from all of this, this is one smaller instance in a broader narrative on amplifying um, you know, pedophilia and making that a, a big issue. Look at how that came up with um, KBJ's, KBJ's yeah. nomination. That um, was Josh Hawley. That was not by accident, right? No. That plays well with the base. It's the QAnon cry, right? The pedophilia scare. It's not unlike, you know, the satanic scare of the 1980s. I remember or, that. Remember the sex abuse, uh, parent sex abuse scare where there were entire groups of parents who were tried and convicted almost like in a witch hunt manner with yeah. little to no evidence because of just... Uh, accusations yeah. flying and so we've gone through this in the past and it feels like we're entering another phase but with pedophilia because now um, and this has happened with um, the governor's spokeswoman in Florida the Santa spokeswoman Christine Pashaw on Twitter basically said anybody who opposes this is probably a groomer yeah I mean yeah. <laughs> like that's where yeah, we are now in at. terms and I have uh, I've seen this online on social media myself and other people I know who anything even if it's not related Related to this bill, but to other policy, if we start criticizing or asking questions, you get labeled a pedo or a yeah. groomer it's, or like that is the, the just what's ridiculous. happening now, which is crazy. So, so it's part of that larger narrative. So the first thing I was waiting for is like, okay, well, they're going to trot out some curriculum from the state of Florida that clearly illustrates the problem where this is happening. Yeah. They're going to say, okay, here is directly the issue. This is an example of the issue we're talking about. We didn't get any of that. No. To my knowledge, no press conference was ever held where they said, and let me show you the state-approved Florida curriculum that we feel is problematic and where this legislation is targeted to. That, that didn't happen. So is this more about just – I guess the point that I'm, I'm trying to get to is, is this really targeted at teachers? Is this really sending the teacher a message that says, hey, it's your personal behavior in the classroom that this is targeted to? Because this is another one of those laws. It has no legal – ramifications to it it's all civil a parent can yeah. sue just like the law in texas so well that's what's so frustrating and lazy about so this that's right? what we're so basically we're, saying this puts we're basically putting a tool in the parent's toolbox that they can more effectively sue you if they feel this is happening so to me it feels like this is a clearly a message at teachers more than anything well, to say I, watch what you're saying in class. Yeah, I agree. And do you, have you already picked up on another tenet of uh, a traditional conservatism, Republican tenets that this violates? I mean, local control of school board, that was always a big one. But well, that but also uh, the general principle about being um, for tort reform against excessive litigation. That's I mean, that's <laughs> totally off the table. That's off the table. I mean, I mean you between guys are Texas using tort now. Uh, yeah, that, that's a, we're using it as a plan. weapon. Absolutely. Yeah. So <laughs> Using, it's like fill the courts up, spend money. As a branch of law enforcement, right. basically, is what the Republican plan is. Yeah. And that's another one. I'm always leery of any plan that it only has a civil remedy, uh, civil remedy to yeah. it, that there's no actual enforcement of this, of, of this law. So we've covered a little bit of, of kind of why this is happening. And again, this is, this is DeSantis kind of putting himself out there, I believe, is saying, I am a better, smarter, more action-oriented uh, version of Donald Trump. And I will 
use this reputation that I'm building when I decide to make my presidential run. Well, I, 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 I mean, I, the one thing I would critique is I don't know that he's going to go say he's smarter. I think he's going to frame it as he's results-oriented. He gets results, unlike Donald Trump. Yeah. That's where he can draw the line. And that he's a fighter. Because remember, Trump's big thing always was he's a fighter. And DeSantis can say, no, I'm really I'm the doer. fighter because yeah. I get results. Yeah. I get things done. When I keep going back and forth, when do you think he tries to cash in that political capital? Because running for president is filled with all types of people that told themselves all kinds of delusional <laughs> lies right. about they could be president. DeSantis has a window opening in 2024 if he chooses to walk through it. The problem is he may have to deal directly with Donald Trump as a candidate for president. I personally don't think he wants to do that. Because he knows you don't come out of that clean. No. Trump will drag you into waters that you just simply don't want to go. And you're not the same candidate on a national level coming out of a primary with Trump. I think DeSantis is going to hold his powder until 2028. He's going to let the Trump phenomenon completely clear out of the, the political ether before he steps in for the presidency. Yeah, I think he's going to be very careful and cautious. I mean, again, this is all... Uh, predicated on the assumption that Trump does run. And again, it's kind of up in the air, depending on the day. And uh, there's part of me that definitely thinks Trump will run. And then there's part of me that thinks maybe he's just doing all this to continue hmm. grifting and making money. And that at the end of the day, he's not. I don't know. Because um, it, it's hard to tell. But yeah, I think it's all based on that. Because I think if he does run, I mean, he can easily just, you know, save. Uh, you know, face and DeSantis can easily just say, I'll wait it out four years. I can create, continue creating my profile, yeah. building on my base and be in a prime position after that. Uh, so I could easily see that happening. Let's talk a little bit. Let's take a minute and talk about Trump, some of his Senate um, endorsements, because the big, the big three <laughs> for Trump, I think the thing that's going to dictate the most kind of how energetic he gets for 2024 rests on Herschel Walker, Dr. Oz, and J.D. Vance. Yeah. Those are his three horses that he's betting big on in the Senate. Those are the three things that he's saying, hey, I still have sway and influence. And to say it, and, and to prove that point, I took three completely unqualified, in some ways lunatic yeah. individuals, and my endorsement got them elected. If he actually pulls that off and those three actually get elected, Trump rolls to, 20, to the nomination in 2024. Everybody falls out of the way, I think, at that point in time. Uh, yeah. I, well, and, and I think in all three of those races, too, I mean, are going to be close. And he has a potential to pull out all three of them. Um, it's possible mm -hmm. he doesn't. Um, it's possible that he loses two of them, one of them. Um, the dynamics are going to be interesting to see. And right now, Herschel Walker is uh, leading against Raphael Warnock in Georgia. <laughs> but the one thing is Raphael Warnock is sitting on a war chest of, I think, like over $40 million he hasn't used and yet. And he hasn't even begun firing shots. So that's—and again, I think once people know more about Herschel Walker and how crazy he is, like, yeah. I, I mean, that's what's scary, too, is having somebody who clearly has— like yeah. mental issues. That's not crazy as a metaphor for strange behavior. No, it's That's a like diagnosable. He is crazy. diagnosably insane. Yes. I mean, he has held a gun to his ex wife's wife head and threatened to kill her. I he mean, he thinks he's, he owns a 
he thinks he owns a clothing factory that he keeps talking about on the trail that nobody has any idea of what he's talking about. And let's about. not forget that the party so far has kept him very isolated and insulated from the the media. <laughs> yeah. uh, so they've only sent him on friendly shows, on yeah. Fox. And- he can't even get through Judge Judy or who's the, the the wacky financial gal, Maria Bartoloma? Part of Robo, yeah. I think those are the only two people he's done Fox interviews with. And they've even had to help him through. Oh, Judge Janine and... Judge uh, Janine, yeah. 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 I heard that McConnell and Cruz have taken him under their wing. I heard that wig, as well, yeah. And they're trying <laughs> to educate him on Can basic tenets <sighs> of conservatism and just basic GOP talking points. That's it. And they they are stunned that he can't pick up hardly any any of this. But if I'm Trump, nothing tells people you should fear me more than getting those three buffoons elected to the yeah. Senate. Dr. Oz is still a Turkish citizen, I think, for God's sake. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Well, then he wouldn't be able to run, technically, right? I, I thought mean, I, saw, I saw something where it's like... Is he, he a would, dual citizen? He has I dual think citizenship. Okay. That he would give so, up his Turkish citizenship yeah. if he were elected to the U.S. Senate. And see, that's one where the MAGA base, some of them were surprised by his endorsement there, when nobody should have been surprised, because Dr. Oz is a personality, TV show. TV, media personnel like Trump. It's birds of a feather. Why would a Trump endorse somebody who's you know like-minded and same mold? Herschel Walker's a celebrity. I, I, I had a friend, we always typically texting back and forth which like how how is this man running for senate he is obviously he obviously has a lot of holes let's say yeah. how is this happening and i tried to explain to him if you're a 50 year old dude in georgia you probably still have a herschel walker poster somewhere in your closet that you're hiding from your wife that you refuse to take down herschel walker is a god in georgia he won a football championship in the 80s i mean his name value is off the chart. Herschel Walker is probably going to win that just on his football career alone. Yeah. That's the type of people that are attracted to Trump and that Trump likes. It, these are all three of these folks throwing J.D. Vance in there now. They're just empty vessels that Trump knows he can pour whatever he wants into. The only, again, the only caveat there is, I believe, because of Georgia's um, runoff law, yeah. uh, you know, and d- depending on if there's a third-party candidate that can throw a wrench into the mix. So just like what happened last time around. Yeah. I think Herschel Walker is going to roll to that seat pretty, pretty easily. Uh, see, that's the one where I disagree, where I think it's possible, again, once he's, de- if he can be defined, which I think there's still a chance to with all the, the stuff about him, where that might be a closer race. So I'm not ready to call that one in yet. J.D. Vance basically gave an interview where he said if Trump was elected, the advice that he would give them is to fire every bureaucrat in the federal government and replace him with his people. <laughs> yeah. You can see me air quote his people. Right. J.D. Vance might be the scariest human running for Senate. I think so. If you see what he's said on social media and, I mean, how he just plays directly into this. And he, I mean, in a way that's very dark and very cruel and very ominous. I mean, he, you know, and don't forget, too, that J.D. Vance is funded by Peter Thiel, Thiel, the PayPal guy, who is trying to remake conservatism. He's a chaos guy. He wants everything to burn. Right. So, yeah, I think that's going to be even more problematic. And I would actually rate that race as even more likely to, to flip to the uh, Democrats, unfortunately, yeah. just but based on the dynamics of Ohio um, as well. Because I think the one thing that makes Georgia a little bit different 
difficult to forecast even like a year out is that it is evolving. I mean, the changing demographics, younger people moving into the state because of the growth, job growth in the Atlanta area. Like there's been so much change in Georgia, Ohio, not so much Ohio. There are people that are just flooding in. They haven't even seen any significant population growth. I don't think over the last decade, they've seen a lot of loss of Rust Belt jobs. Ohio's older, wider, It's a more stagnant state. And if you look at over the last several elections, the Republican advantage has only grown, that gap in presidential elections. Let me ask you this question, Brandon. In the last three years in the state of Georgia, what's the biggest news story to come out of Georgia? In the last three years? Last three years. Uh... Absent the the election itself? Just what's the the most exciting, what's the best, what's the biggest news coming out of Georgia? I don't if, know. If you lived in Georgia, what's the biggest news? I'm blanking out here. I'm forgetting University something. of Georgia won the national football championship oh, last year. It, yeah, it, that's right. That was, yeah. That dominates everything. Herschel Walker is going to start running ads of him in that uniform in the 80s. He's going to link it to the new program. The legacy. The, the coach is going to come out and give him an endorsement, and that race is done. You think it's that'll be over. it? over. Yeah. I just don't see how. It doesn't matter all of this ugly stuff about his past is going to come up. It's all relevant in a campaign. None of it's going to make a damn bit of At difference. At the end of the day, yeah. Because we're into this power is, it's a zero-sum game. All the Republicans want is the seat. They'll put anybody in there that has the ability to win it, if they're qualified or not, is completely and totally irrelevant. Right. And they'll run a campaign that it's completely and totally irrelevant. He doesn't go to any debates. Why? He doesn't have to. Everybody knows me. I'm Herschel Walker. Go dogs. That's all I got to do. So they're going to win that seat just because they can, not because they actually had a better candidate with better ideas or they even put any effort into governing. And when he gets there, Herschel Walker, he's exactly what Mitch McConnell wants. He'll just vote whatever way we tell him. That's really what they're after. How old is he now, by the way? Like 54, 55, 53, something like that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to explain. I mean, I feel a deep connection to Herschel Walker just because I remember, I think it was 82, 83-ish when he was doing what he was doing in Georgia and just what a national story it was. So I think he's going to be very difficult to beat just on name value alone. Mm. And he doesn't have to do one iota's worth of campaigning. A, a campaign stop for Herschel Walker's yell, how about those dogs, tell a football story, shout Walker, Trump, 2024, and you walk off the stage. It's pretty, it, it's yeah. pretty straightforward. So I think, I think that's a seat that they're going to they're gonna lose. Mm. The J.D. Vance thing, yeah, he's, just, he's gone completely insane, and I think it's going to cost him that seat in, in Ohio. I, I will say, though, that, again, I think the headwinds are against some of the Democrats do have a good candidate in Ohio. They have Tim Ryan, who's yeah. the— uh, the congressman, congressman who identifies well with blue collar workers and has been a fighter for them, and was one of those who did a vote for Nancy Pelosi for speaker, and has always separated himself yeah. when the national brand has been toxic. So yeah. there is that. Yeah, something I wanted to talk about that we didn't talk about on warm up is Elon Musk and his his quest to buy Twitter and that whole three week saga and kind of where we're at and and kind of what people's thoughts are on Elon Musk and, and Twitter. Yeah, well, and uh, so the the latest thing for people to follow is that Twitter's uh, basically their board put forward that poison pill, yeah, um, to uh, which is a you know common tactical yeah. corporate maneuver, and uh, which blocked him. Now he's still trying to find investors to go in with him mm-hmm. and to circumvent that. 
But I haven't heard any more in terms of the last couple of days if there's been any movement there well, on where he is. I think the poison pill was if somebody owns 15% of stock, they have this massive release of new shares of stock that the person who owns the 15% yeah. can't buy. Right. So basically, if Elon Musk says, I'm going to pay 20% over your current stock value at $50 a share or whatever, what this does is whereas before he had to buy, you know, $48 billion worth or whatever. Now he has to buy $200 billion's worth. So I think they've made it almost impossible for him to, to purchase it under his, current, under his current plan. But what I got, what I found completely fascinated by this was that, well, somehow this is rigged or it's wrong if Elon Musk can't buy Twitter. Well, that's not the way this works. No. Just because you made a bid doesn't mean that you automatically get the company. Right. There's an approval process that the board has to go through and has to be voted on for, for them to sell the company. Right. If they don't want to sell it to you, it does not matter how much money you offered for it. And Jack Dorsey, the founder and former president, is still on that board as well. Yeah. And he was never going to join the board of directors. That no. was always... Always silly because again, you can't run around bitching and complaining about Twitter and saying things like we ought to make their source code and their algorithms public if you're on the board. No, you can't that, do that. <laughs> that was never going to happen. So all of that was just kind of a fool's errand. And I don't I don't think Elon Musk ever had any any indication of or any he didn't want he never wanted to join the board and I don't think he's serious about buying Twitter either. You think it's all just a publicity stunt? It's just like what he does with Bitcoin. He just manipulates it for fun. Yeah, I, I fail yeah, I fail to understand like his long game or what he's attempting to do. He's one of those that has always had the label of eccentric and so I don't yeah. I yeah, I I don't know. And it's, he offered twenty percent over the price of the stock. That is no, there is no percentage offer that triggers you automatically have to sell this to him. Right. So this was always a long shot bid at best that he would take this. Over. And people are acting like it's not. And I mean, yeah, DeSantis, that's what I don't get. his response, like that somehow he was like denied, like, no, this he has is to like, be investigated. He's calling for a congressional investigation. Twitter, yeah. For and, what? And, and he wants uh, the Florida, whatever Florida governing body board um, oversees the state pension system to have de-invest from Twitter as part of the pension system too. So that's... And what I don't get is, Brandon, can you tell me what Elon Musk has done in the past that makes him a champion of the First Amendment and how him taking over Twitter would be miles better from a free speech standpoint than what we have? Yeah, that's what I don't understand. Like what, where's the substance there? Like where's the proof in the pudding. I mean, Elon Musk has manipulated the price of Bitcoin multiple times through tweets. I think Elon Musk is going to fart around and get himself in trouble with the SEC. Because certainly when he when he when he bought the 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 all this the, the Twitter stock that he bought, I think they saw a, a spike in their price by like 26%. Yeah. Where is that now? When is he going to exit this? What's he going to make on his exit? I, I'm not sure what Elon Musk is doing, and I'm not sure why everybody is just all of a sudden assigned all of this capital to Elon Musk that he can fix this. I, I don't know what the this again. The I feel like n- not unlike Trump or other personalities, he's somebody that people know of who's in the news all the time. Yeah. Sometimes dumb, sometimes interesting, sometimes thought provoking, and so people just latch onto him and just you know put their feelings, thoughts, desires yeah. onto him as a vessel. 
because it's weird that people would be like, oh, yeah, he's pro First Amendment. Like, I'd sure? love to see him take it. Like, based on what? Has like, he written about it? Yeah. Has he given speeches on it? Did he study the Constitution? I don't see any of that. No, he's I mean, not wait. somebody who seems to be. Okay, he's, he's pissed that Trump's off Twitter. Uh, okay, that makes him a First Amendment free speech champion? Yeah. I don't. <laughs> it's like, give me a break. I don't know. I As don't... a side note about Elon Musk, I heard this recently, which is crazy apparently he is like super thrifty like his I've uh, heard that, girlfriend yeah. partner like uh she had a hole in her mattress and he wouldn't buy a new mattress until like the mattress was literally falling yeah. apart and apparently like he never stays at hotels or airbnbs like when he's traveling like he'll try to stay with friends and say hey do you have a, a bed available and he'll just try to crash with randomly with friends and he'll call his silicon valley friends and crash with them See that that's not quirky. That's mental illness. Is that's what, that what is. I was thinking. I'm like, that's not that's not a positive. You're the world's richest man, and you're trying to bum a couch off of a friend. I, just yeah, I, I wouldn't be putting that out there. That that's how I that's how I roll. Well, I and he apparently doesn't even have like a real physical home either. Yeah, like I mean, it's just it's very bizarre, and that's why like I've always thought that there's something off there, like a few screws loose with him. I don't know, just because he always is kind of just randomly sh- shooting and, from the. I don't know. Someone's going to have to explain to me why one tech billionaire who owns a social media company that you have a problem with over some over something, either free speech or just pick what you're in. Now we're swapping them out for another billionaire. How, right. How is this? This is different. How is this different? We're just simply replacing one person for another, but you're projecting onto Elon Musk, this champion of free speech and your political values. And you're really just putting the thumb in the eye of Twitter, which is what this is really all about. Well, and this is a person who wants to be able to have all this authority to make all these decisions himself. I mean, he's mm-hmm. like dictate like that, yeah. you know, Twitter's going to do this and I'm going to reveal the algorithm. And this is like, why should, you know, one, you know, richest man in the world be the person to, to make all those decisions. Like I mean, you said, like that's this better. is, this is the cult of, <laughs> entrepreneurship that we're all worshiping at right now. Yeah. You just made a great point. So Elon Musk wants to take the world's largest communication platform, take it out of the accountability that he would have as CEO as a public company and make it a private one where he can do with it whatever, whatever he, wants. he wants. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I don't, I don't think he's doing that because of some burning desire or passion he has for the first amendment in no. free speech. Yeah, I don't think there's like a public cause attached to that. No. I don't think it's No. Yeah. I the the, the altruistic news is, not not at all. And how the news freaked out about this was very strange. Yeah. I mean, MSNBC and CNN just had meltdowns that this Apoplectic was epileptic over it. Yeah, yeah, that this was going to be the end of democracy cuz he was going to take over Twitter. It's like how where do you come up with stuff like this? The biggest thing he would do is let Trump and Alex Jones back on. Okay, great. Is that, is that really what we're fighting about? I tried to find a list the other day of how many people are, are banned from Twitter right now. Because if At we say that moment, yeah. the most clear form of, of restricting speech is, is banning speech, how many people are actually banned from Twitter right now? There aren't that many, actually, at all. I don't think there's that many. That my point, again, is— Even I, like people like Marjorie Taylor Greene have had temporary bans, yeah. but they've never been permanently banned. I, nobody ever explains the size and shape of the problem. This is how many people were banned. This is why they were banned. This is their tweets that got them banned. Do we agree or disagree? Yeah. I think that's where, again, the I think people like Musk 
are using, and DeSantis a little bit like this too, they're, they're taking something that would be described as a niche issue and blowing it up into something that's way bigger and trying to make it an issue that they can, they can get something else accomplished on on the backs of what they're trying to do. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I just don't trust Elon Musk at all. I, I don't either. I didn't, there's no altruism on no, his part at all. there's not. Before we get into Ukraine, we had one other topic, but I completely forgot it. Uh, the, uh, McCarthy and the recording. Oh, McCarthy. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so your boy, Kevin, just can't, <laughs> Brandon, he just can't seem to keep himself out of trouble. Uh, well, it's, I, I do, uh, I, I think it was, um, Sarah Longwell, uh, mm-hmm. described this moment as, uh, Liz Cheney's righteous rage, <laughs> which I really liked. And I think that's a perfect encapsulation of what transpired because here the irony is you had McCarthy boot. Cheney off of her leadership post as conference chair over telling the truth about what happened on January 6th uh, and the president's role in it. And here we have audio recording of McCarthy saying the same exact thing and saying that Trump was responsible, partially responsible for what happened uh, and that he should resign and that Mm -hmm. he actually counseled Trump to resign. So, you know, and then how much how much later was it? Was it days later that he then went to Mar-a-Lago like on a pilgrimage and groveled had and had this complete 180-degree yeah. change of heart yeah. and then goes after Liz Cheney for saying what he said? So there's the, the rank hypocrisy. There's also just the rank deceit because he lied about this, and he lied right before the tapes were released as well about what he said. And so, um, but again, the overarching question we always get back to, will this matter? Will this have an impact? Yes. And I don't think it will. Like, I think he's still going to be in the good graces of the MAGA crowd. His first phone call after this was made public was to Donald Trump, again, groveling to make sure he still had his support. Because if he loses Trump's support, then he loses the support of the MAGA faction of the House, and he can't win re-election as Speaker. No. So he looks to be in good standing still. I don't hear a lot of... Uh, members of Congress that are speaking publicly about this and chastising him or criticizing him. Um, it's the same people. It's people like Adam Kinzinger, who have already yeah. been critical this entire time. What, what I love about this is, is number one, it had to be Liz Cheney that made that recording and dropped the dime on him. Because I think the, the recording that I heard, it's only two of them on the phone. So yeah. I, I love it that the fact that Liz recorded this and, and decided to put this out there as the, the January 6th committee starts kind of entering into its final, final phases. Um, you've accused Kevin McCarthy in the past of not being the, the brightest bulb in the chandelier, so to speak. <laughs> Far from it, yeah. If you want to see how a veteran politician handles that, Mitch McConnell. Yeah. As, as they're shouting things at McConnell about this, McConnell says nothing, walks by. You know, just just gives that completely indifferent look and just goes about his business. McCarthy not only addresses it, lies about it. Yeah, and yes. lies about it for, for what purpose? Uh, yeah. I mean, we talked before. If if you were in Congress right now, you would assume everybody you talk to is recording everything. Right. Everybody's covering their ass six ways to Sunday. Why why not just give the the, the non-answer answer and then whip up your, your, your excuse or whatever your path's going to be once the tape comes out. He had to know this was going to surface at some point. Why come out so strong giving that full-throated, I never said that. If they wanted an accurate quote, they could have talked to me. Nobody ever talked to me. We didn't have to because we had your voice on tape. Yeah. <laughs> I just, how that man just continuously just ah, over people dig over. a hole in front of him and say, I bet you won't. And he just throws himself in it 
every single time. And let's not forget, McCarthy is dumb as a rock. He's been the beneficiary yes. of circumstance and and the moment because you know he assumed the speakership when Paul Ryan threw in the towel and said he was yeah. done and had enough. And McCarthy had just happened to be next in line based on the leadership positioning. And he's always been able, has had a uh, ability to glad hand very well in terms of other colleagues. And people have always described him as very stupid, but, you know, kind of like ho-hum, likable, friendly. He just has this, you know, uh, camaraderie to him that uh, this rapport that he can build. And so that's always done him well. But uh, clearly now that he's, you know, in a position of ultimate leadership and, you know, his lies are coming home to roost, you you see that there is no substance there. I mean, he has yeah. no substance. He isn't able to explain anything away. He can't stop, stop talking for the life of himself. And and it's just even like, I mean, when it's come to policing, disciplining his own members like Marjorie Taylor Greene and like uh, Coth, Madison Cawthorn, he can't do it. Or he'll give some stupid statement about how like, you know, he talked to, you know, them and they realized it was wrong. And then like immediately someone like Madison Cawthorn will come out and say, no, I didn't agree to that. And like, you know, just and, and I know I know we missed this whole thing, but. I love how freaked out Republicans get when one of their own says something weirdly horny about the Republican Party. Oh, about the orgies? Yeah. And the, yeah. Because Republicans have been clipped a couple times in recent memory on kind of weird sex stuff. Yeah. Who was the, who was, remember the congressional page or the congressional intern scandal? Back in 2006. Yeah. That was at the height of yeah. the Democrats gaining control of Congress. That was Mark Foley. Mark Foley. And yeah. I believe the Republicans didn't make the gains they wanted to in those elections. No. And part of it they was lost the house. directly tied. That was when Pelosi made the culture of corruption mantra yes. that really resonated. So, yeah. It's easier. There's no good way to say this. It's easier for a Democrat to be come off as creepy than a Republican. Yeah, because di- Republicans, because of the the stance they take on certain social issues, it it just makes their hypocrisy shine brighter, and it sticks to them in a way that it doesn't stick to Republicans. And Madison Cawthorn found out one of the golden rules: you don't you don't link sex scandal to Republicans. Right. We're just not going to do that. We're not going to buy. And that was the thing that got them most upset, right? Because I mean, it was it like racism Correct. or white supremacy we don't or any of that other stuff. January six, but oh my gosh, we're going to. Go go into full like you know crisis mode over orgies and drunkenness i believe madison cawthorn because he's 26 i think i think yeah what he's 26 yeah. year old knows what key bump of coke means brandon <laughs> right i he had to hear that from somebody at least yeah. in their 50s or 60s i believe the key bump was it was impolite to stick your hand into the bag of cocaine, so you put your key in there. And dumps oh, it out that that's way. what that means. Okay. I only know that because of movies, ah. but I'm pretty sure that's what he was referring to. <laughs> I didn't mean to go down that hole, but that was just so funny to watch him squirm yeah. and watch McCarthy finally show some spine to one of his members. But we had to get to Over orgy that key coke bump yeah. before he finally swung into action. Is there any way? I, I think we all know the Republicans are going to take back the House in, 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 in the, the midterms. Yeah. That's going to happen. Is there any way he holds on to the speakership? I I don't know. I think that that will remain up in the air as long as there's discontent among the MAGA faction. And he still has never been able to consolidate 
support 100 percent among no. that faction. And so, yeah, I think, uh, and again, I think that this leak was done with the intention of trying to create and further so. that dissent and those divisions, uh, which I think was very smart on Liz Cheney's part, if it was Liz Cheney, uh, because I, I think the more headaches that can be caused for McCarthy, um, yeah. I'm, I'm all for it. Like, you know, bring on the popcorn and let's watch this explode. I think as partisan as we are right now, Americans still will not vote for a fool. Yeah. We don't care what our political allegiance is. This is the problem David Perdue has in Georgia. You were made a fool out of by Donald Trump and how you lost your Senate seat, and you've decided to jump right back in bed, of, in bed with him to make yourself a fool again to try to win the governorship. Yeah, and it's the not pe- paying off so people far. People are not going to vote for people they don't respect and they find to be complete fools. Right. That's Kevin the- McCarthy is rapidly gaining ground he's in, right in that area because he's just, he's just foolish. Yeah. And the game to him, he, he just lays it all in front of you. I will do anything to grab that bash brass ring of power. I don't care. I will debase myself in any way I have to to get it. And Trump's superpower is he, he – Trump doesn't like a person that will grovel. You got to do more than that. Yeah. I mean he seeks people out like McCarthy that he literally knows he can insert his hand inside of him and work him like a puppet in any way he wants yeah. and that he knows – Kevin McCarthy has no self-respect left, and he'll do anything for the promise of grabbing at that brass ring. And as long as, how many, I mean, what percentage of the Republican Party fits into that mold at some point, Trump's going to remain in power. Because there's just nobody going to stand up to him. Yeah, as long as there's a willing contingent to just, you know, be puppets for him. I'm uh, telling you, if he gets those three senators elected and has like a 60% hit rate on endorsements— Everybody falls in line for 2024. That's Trump basically clearing the field to say, if I want it, I will. I'll just take it again if I want to. That'll be the ultimate test. Uh, you know, we'll we'll see. I don't know. I, yeah, I, because I think you're right. I think that obviously some of his endorsed candidates will not win and are not leading in the polls. But yeah. but on the Senate side, where it matters, on the House side, all he needs is I think a majority to say, hey, you know, I'm the the leader. People believe what I say. I had somebody text me the other day talking about Trump, how, how that we should, we should have done anything we, we could have done to stop Trump from being able to run again. And part of my answer to that was, wait a minute, this guy got more people voted against him than any other person at the history of time who ran for president. Yep. Didn't Joe, Joe Biden got like 81 million votes or something oh, like yeah. that? Those were 81 million votes against Donald Trump. And it was mm-hmm. the largest win by a challenger to an incumbent since uh, uh, Herbert Hoover was defeated by yeah. FDR back in 19... 19- I, I think the American people clearly came out and said, we, we, that guy is a non-starter. Yeah. Because we picked this other guy who we knew we were going to have problems with just to stay away from that guy. Right. If you want to run that guy again, a guy that got 81 million people mobilized enough to vote against, against him, have at it. Yeah. Please do. That's the, the only chance the Dems have in 2024 of retaining the presidency is if Donald Trump runs. That's the only chance we have. Because Biden's not running again. There's no way. I don't care if he met with Obama and told him. There's, there's no way. No, and now, we, now we're entering this phase, figuring out who's going to be the heir apparent, and that's That's going to be a two-year, just absolute Ugh. bloodbath fight. Yeah. There's just no way. Harris or Mayor Pete is that is that going to be our options uh, okay yeah. um, I'm not excited about either one of those I mean I prefer Mayor Pete over Harris just because I think he's more articulate and more able to 
I think, speak. Sure. Get the trail, he's also but, never won a race right. in the state of Indiana. He's never won a statewide no, race. He's never won anything. Yeah. Uh, so He's only won a mayoral race, so that's the issue. Let's switch to our last topic on Ukraine. I thought, it's been like five or six weeks since we podcasted, I thought the Ukrainian war would be over by now. That Russia would have taken whatever it decided to take in Ukraine. For me, that was Kiev. They would link up with the, well, the folks from Donbass. Clearly, Russia they just thought call this it would be done in days, like maybe five days max. And so I think that the incompetence of the Russian military, their um, inability to supply and resource their military was put on full display. I, you know, there's a, a lot there that is, I think, pretty embarrassing from the Russian standpoint. And they underestimated the will of the Ukrainians to fight back and to be resourceful, um, you know, with limited resources. So I think that that's um, uncharted. The, the, but the key thing people need to remember is that Putin doesn't just give up. The war in Chechnya dragged on for years and yeah. years and years. Um, you know, the war in Georgia was over the course of years. Yeah. If you look at where Putin has flexed his muscle, you know, he will continue fighting until he's able to extract something of value that he can take home and, and run on. Uh, and so that's where we are. It's not. It's it's somewhat of a you know they weren't able to take uh, Kiev. They weren't able to take the the capital. Yeah. Most of the west. They have this new strategy there now where they're trying to take the east and those two regions that where they've dubbed breakaway regions, yeah. Donbass and uh, Lushek. Like, yeah. um, so, uh, and then uh, and then wrap around the southern part of the country to connect with Crimea so that they have uh, routes and a yeah. land bridge for um, transportation. So, yeah, so I think that's where we are now. It kind of remains to be seen how successful they will be in the long term. They are bleeding soldiers and military equipment. Yeah. The Russians are like, this isn't, um, and, you know, their uh, markets and their economy are, are suffering. I just saw an article that they're, Oh, I forget her name. Um, I would be able to pronounce it correctly either. But the head of the Russian bank, mm -hmm. um, I think her last name is Nebulina. So Putin has been putting out very rosy pictures saying, look, we're, we're fine. The sanctions that have work. Well, the problem is Ru Russia's reserves are drastically running sure. out. And so um, their financial markets were most impacted by the sanctions so far. But their economy, for the most part, wasn't impacted in terms of day-to-day, -day, um, other than some shortages and price increases in some specific sectors. But their bank, um, central bank head, she came out and said, you know, the time is working against us. We are, you know, we have very little reserves left. We're almost at the point where, you know, our economy is, is going to start cratering from this. So just because it hasn't happened yet, people forget with sanctions, it's a long game. And particularly because so many of the reserves that are in Western currency are mm -hmm. frozen, they can't draw upon yeah. those. So they are quickly eating up what they have, and then there won't be any left. So again, they've been able to pay their debtors and do all that up until this point, but that's not going to last forever. And as long as the sanctions are lifted, um, you're going to see things turn domestically in a way we haven't seen before. And so again, I'll reiterate, this is what the ec economists are forecasting, that there's going to be anywhere from an 8 to 15% drop in GDP um, in Russia, yeah. um, uh, and uh, a contraction, I should say, contraction GDP uh, in Russia. And it's going to be, as far as the economic impact and collapse, it's going to be the worst since the early 90s when they came out of the dissolution of the Soviet Union. Uh, that's where we're at. One of the things that's sticking with me through this invasion is that for the second time in my lifetime, the United States government and the United States media has completely lied to me about the capabilities of the Soviet Soviet Union slash Russian military. 
when all the time growing up, uh, we were led to believe that the Soviet Union had a military capable of fighting on multiple fronts on a worldwide stage. And we had to have the military size and strength that we had to have to fight that. That turned out to be completely not true when the Soviet Union completely collapsed. And we found out that for decades, they couldn't even feed themselves. The right. idea of them t- having a multiple war, uh, a mul- like fighting a world war on multiple fronts around the globe was completely a complete lie. Yeah. Then we fell for that lie again. Remember two years ago when they fired off the hypersonic missile and everybody shit their pants about yeah. how great the Russian military is? People like Hugh Hewitt are calling for you know a second um, um, missile uh, generation of, of growth in our missile technology like we did in the 50s when there was Sputnik and all that shit. Remember when we were so far behind the Russian military, it was a national disaster and it was Biden and Obama's fault that we fell that far. Remember all of that? Yeah. Then it comes to find out they can't supply themselves. No. They don't have an officer corps. To me, the Russian invasion... They haven't invested in their military no. at all. Th- th- the this this would be like the state of Missouri, my home state, tells America, we're going to invade you because we have the military power to do it, and then we can't take Kansas. Right. So we say, we'll start with Kansas because we're bigger than them. We walk across the border, and we just get slaughtered. Yeah. So why I go down this rant is the logical next point is China. Now I don't believe anything anybody has said about the Chinese military and their capabilities. Because twice in my lifetime, I've been told we have to dump all of these resources, especially around the Soviet Union. We have to tailor almost our entire economy to support a military to fight these people. That was a complete lie. And then we hear that that was a complete lie too. So when China does something, I'm not just going to automatically believe that. No. I think I'm going to have to be shown what China's military capabilities are. I feel like we make are. so many of our assumptions on such limited intelligence, and that's part of the, well, the problem. The hypersonic missile. Yeah. I mean, Tom Cotton used a full week's worth of news cycles to talk about how our military just absolutely sucked, and we were so far behind Russia, and this meant tech, tech, technologically, from a culture standpoint, our military was just in shambles compared to Russia. Well, that just showed me... The he, Russians he didn't know any of that. The Russians can't even fuel their That's tanks. Right. I mean, <laughs> they can't even put a plan together. And they invaded and their neighbor. Of, their neighbor. Right. And they're a bunch of 19-year-olds. These are 19-year-olds that are ill-fed, ill-clothed that are fighting Russia's war of aggression and against I've heard Ukraine. Too, the reason they've lost so many generals is because generals call up to the front to do something and the frontline officers are like, "I ain't doing that." We're not doing that. So many of their generals have had to take forward-facing command of units. That's why like five or six of them have died. They've been killed, yeah. I, I just, I struggle with, if you, if you look at where Do you know our, that they've already is, lost more uh, troops um, so far in this war against Ukraine in the, how long has it been? Um, six, eight weeks? It's been like 59 days or something like that. Then they lost during the entire war when they were fighting the Mujahideen in yeah. Afghanistan. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they've just and that was over into, a decade. I don't, but I just don't know what to think anymore of these types of, of, of reports yeah, about what another country's military capabilities are. Because I felt like we've been lied to so many times. Well, and, and again, like we were told that oh, Russia will take the country in mere days. Like it's going to be quick. It's going to be swift. 48 hours to Kiev. Yeah. Yeah. And just none of that's happened. And what I don't get to is, have you seen these Turkish drones that are causing them so many problems? 
I, I think I saw some photos. They, yeah. they, they look like a, a wooden model plane. They look like something a high school woodshop project would make. And apparently, they just <laughs> simply fly over and drop an explosive on a tank. Uh. Brandon, have you, why are we making tanks? I mean, I've been watching videos of people from, from Ukraine. The, the Britain, Britain has something called an in-law. It's the, the shoulder-fired rocket. It's not as fancy as the Javelin. It's only straight line and all of this. These things cost $1,200 to make, and they're just taking out tanks all over the place. Do we have the same tanks as Russia? If we invaded, would we have the same deal? Part of what I've, what I've struggled with with watching the Russian story and the invasion, just from a straight military perspective, is what does all this military technology mean? Yeah. And what does it mean to the U.S. and what our foreign policy should be watching Russia wade into Ukraine and have the, the results that they've gotten? Because the, the Ukrainians are fighting them using very low-tech weapons, and they seem to be having a, a great deal of success. Is that all on the Russian military? Is that all on the, 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 the willingness to fight of the Ukrainians? I don't know what I'm looking at anymore, because I'm still going off the information. Like you just said, Kiev will fall in two days. Right. It's a week to the country, and Russia has you know, the fourth most powerful military in the world, which means they'll just crush another country. None of that has turned out to be true. No, not at all. So it's, yeah, it's difficult to decipher. Uh, and I mean, I think we, for such a long time, correlated Russia's nuclear strength and yes. missile strength with their military strength when those two are completely far apart. Um, they may have the scientists and the capabilities when it comes to having the largest nuclear stockpile in the world, and that's one thing, but that doesn't translate to their overall military capabilities, yeah. which are not there. Well, if I'm any country that's on the, the emerging scale, I, I need a nuclear weapon right now. Yeah. The, their stockpile of nuclear weapons is the only thing keeping Russia on the map. Yeah. Because without those, NATO would wipe them out Oh, a long time day ago, one. yeah. So I guess if I'm, if I'm a country that wants to see my way onto the international stage, I have to do it with nuclear weapons intact because that's the only thing that really is keeping, keeping the balance right now. And let's not forget that Russia, uh, you know, the reasoning for this was to stop what they call the, you know, the expansion of NATO. You now have Sweden and Finland oh, yeah. that want to join NATO yep. and are going to hold referendums on that. And so, you know, their action, their provocation has only, um, I think, emboldened the unity um, in NATO that, you know, some have said before was lacking, which I think is true. I mean, NATO has never been more unified, more resolved. And you have other countries now that are saying, yeah, we want to join now because we see the yeah. threat posed from Russia. So it's been a just complete misfire by Russia's part in terms of what they were trying to accomplish with and this. And Ukraine's only in this situation because they gave up their nuclear weapons. Yeah. They signed a treaty with Russia. Russia that said, you'll never invade us if we give up these nuclear weapons. Yeah. What's a better world, Brandon? <sighs> emerging, emerging companies, countries, trying to develop nuclear weapons or the United States playing the defensive role for them. And we get into more direct military conflict. Well, I, I do think if, if it's emerging countries developing nuclear weapons on their own, that's going to produce more volatility and more it unpredictability. Yeah. You know, because some of these countries don't have the stable yep. political environments or infrastructure. Governments can fall and be toppled, and you don't know who's going to be in charge and, and what's going to happen. And that's what gives me the greatest concern is governments that have nuclear capabilities where, you know, these unstable countries like Pakistan. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's one that has 
has always unnerved me because that's a nuclear power has always had um, a element of instability, you know, and, you know, if things go sour, you know, I mean, nuclear weapons can fall in the wrong hands. All think, it takes is one accident, one misfire, and then a nuclear war erupts. If I'm Pakistan, I would ask this question. Do you think the presence of our nukes is the only thing that has stopped us from being in a war with India? If Pakistan yeah. did not have nuclear weapons, India would have taken over Pakistan oh, absolutely. by now. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Now, yep. So if you're any type of borderline rogue nation, if you're North Korea, Iran, you the, the, the path forward is you must be nuclear. Yeah, I remember— That's the only thing that's going to save it off. I think in college, uh, world geography course, we called those fault line states that yeah. were right there, that the uh, point of tension with the neighboring country, you know, that had gone back years or perhaps, you know, decades— but, but yeah, if you see where the nuclear ambitions are, which countries have gained nuclear weapons, they've all been those fault line states. And I think we're, we're, I think we're roughly two months into this war. It feels like we're settling in for the long haul. Yeah. That Russia knows they, they can't take Kiev. They're not going to. They're going to take the, the, those areas in the south and the southeast. They're going to try to take Odessa, cut them off from a port perspective, and try to make two Ukraines, basically, is what they're going to try to do. Do you think, I mean, because people keep saying this, but nobody has an answer for it, which um, it makes me think that there isn't any opportunity there. The people who say, well, we need to find some kind of exit strategy for Putin where he can save face and then we can end this war. But I don't see what that is. Nobody gives an example of what that would be. Like, what, what would that be where Putin could go home and say, see, without giving away like major chunks of the country of Ukraine in the process. There's no way. Cause it would be, he's already laid out. I want the two regions that I've already taken yeah. over. I want you to sign a deal, uh, basically aligning yourself with Russia and promises you'll never join the EU or NATO. And right. they're just not going to do that. Those are non-starters. You just don't have a country yeah. left after, after that. No, those are non-starters. So I don't, so should we give him an off ramp? So there's part of me that says, Why? He stepped in it. I understand yeah. that we're talking about people's lives, and the toll on this is is based in human life. But part of it is you got yourself into this mess. Get yourself out right. of this mess. And we and he's never really been forced to get himself out of a mess. No, he before. don't bail him out. Yeah. And when one of your political enemy, one of your your geopolitical enemies enemies is making this kind of mistake, why should we help you out? I get it. The reason why is people are dying. And people are suffering, and it's the moral thing to do. But on the but geopolitical term, stage, I you know again, if we want a more stable world, do we want to bail him out, or is that I mean because I think that that emboldens him, and that just you know there's yeah. So again, I think we have to. Yeah, I, I'm I'm of the same mindset you are. I think that we have to let him live with his decision. Um, that he has to find a way out himself and that eventually we need to find some way to just kind of hope and support for there to be regime change in Russia, you know, something of that nature to where, you know, there's a change in the paradigm uh, because I don't know, as long as he's in power, I don't see much I mean, changing. If I'm Ukraine, I would just ask, that's a great plan. Is there any number on us that can be killed to get you to change your mind? Yeah. Because the only thing that the, 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 the practical application of your plan is just more of my people are dying every day in horrible ways. Well, I, I, do, uh, I do struggle with and uh, roll my eyes at the fact that I think we play a little bit too much in the weeds and the nuance of the type of weapons we provide, what we're not going to provide, what we will, only defensive capabilities, but we're not going to provide offensive weaponry. And I think that 
I think there's probably more we can do out to that end. And I think slowly we've been increasing our uh, yeah. weapon transfers As to more them. people have died and Russian right. atrocities have gotten But I, have like trying to find this differentiation between defensive and offensive, like it's a war at this point. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's matter. out the window. Yeah. Like, just give them the weapons they yeah. need to use. And, let, you know, and because we're not going to declare a no-fly uh, no no. zone. We're not going to get directly involved in terms of combat or in terms of air operations. Like, that, those are all known knowns, but there's more we can do in terms of um, providing them weapons and equipment. And so just do that to the max that we're willing to do. I think, I think Ukraine knows we're going to give you just enough to continue fighting. We're not going to give you the weapons that give you the offensive capabilities to go into Russia. We don't want that type of escalation. And we're not going to do anything that directly can link NATO into this fight. But not to go into Russia, but I think offensive enough to push back, especially in those two breakaway regions, even push Russia back out of that. And, you know, I think the parts of the country that they've been operating in really illegally um, for the past couple of years, you know, that we have just, you know, kind of not done anything about or said until it came to a head. We could have done that years ago. Well, yeah, we could have. I mean, that's the thing. But we've done that so time and time again, right? We did do anything when they went into Georgia in 2007. 2008 we did do anything with when they went to crimea back yep. in 2000 and uh what was it 14 uh so again it's like one russian provocation aggression after the next you know that we we did not you know and that goes all the way to not only just not getting involved but we didn't exercise any type of punishment against russia you know in terms of uh kicking them off of the u.n security yeah. council yeah. you know uh, they were still allowed to host the olympics i mean all of yeah. these things you know that we could have taken away prior years and we didn't yeah i don't um yeah i think this is going to be a long haul i think that this is going to modify the west's approach around the world because the next country that we say Go ahead and give the weapons up. We'll, yeah. we'll protect you. We'll be... No. No, no you're not. They're not going to... Yeah. No, you're not going to do that. This is going to be a, a uh, yeah, a case, um, I think, for the future. Yeah, I Absolutely. think so. I think so. Hi, Brandon. It's been like six weeks since we've seen each other. What, That's a uh, long time, What yeah. exciting is happening in your world? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we never really have anything exciting. So. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, baseball season. I've yeah. not been to a game yet. I'm definitely... Looking forward to getting out to some games but, now that that's here, settled. Here's what drives me crazy about the Royals. <laughs> we have one 10-game losing streak before Mother's Day, which yeah. basically ends the season for us. Then we have another 10-game streak, losing streak sometime around July. And the rest of the season, we play three games over 500. We do it all the time. Yeah. We have that huge losing streak that ends the season before it starts. We have another one somewhere in the middle just to make sure we're dead. But then we play pretty decently outside of those two streaks. Very predictable, yeah. I just And baseball has just turned into a game where you're just waiting for the three-run homer. We just can't hit three-run homers. We just don't have enough guys that can hit, hit the ball. Yeah, we way. don't. I mean, we... You know, ever since the World Series win, I mean, that was our riding high moment. Yeah. And then after that, just... It's going to take a lot to get back to that oh, yeah. to that moment. But What about it, you? It's Anything? nice having just baseball on in the background. Yeah, absolutely. But I haven't done anything really fun in six weeks. Like I said, I was down with my, my mom and dad uh, in Florida to helping him. So that's been a lot. But yeah, my the last six weeks for me have been a lot of it's been a blur of just, you know, 
routine and and things like that. But it's, yeah, I was gonna say like I mean that would suck a lot out of you. So there isn't really a whole lot of time for much I else mean, outside of that. The government should have some program that, as an adult, you should be able to say, "Listen, I need to become the caregiver for my my elderly parents," and there should be some way that you can keep sixty percent of your salary for eighteen months or something to provide care for a family member. It just it just brought home that whole experience. Number one, how difficult it is dealing with the healthcare system, yeah. how many people you have to deal with and how much you have to do on your own, yeah. you know, how many things you have to track, how many calls you have to make, how many things you have to keep track of. And as you get older, these things all become harder. So anything that we could do in any way to help just people take care of their own family would be, would be great. But I don't know. The healthcare system is, uh, it's a strange process. It's a long-standing problem. Yeah. yeah. And where I am at in my life at 52, you know, this is, this is sooner than later. This is coming. And, you know, when I was 30, I thought, well, by the time I'm 50, they'll have this solved. Well, by the time I'm 70, I don't, I don't put much faith that that's going to happen at this point. Yeah. So, mm, yeah, healthcare system, it's a, it's a strange one. But you also realize, too, how many people are employed by healthcare? Right. And when like Kamala Harris says, we'll just get rid of that or we'll just change that, that you're talking about millions of people's oh, lives yeah. and just, just, you cannot make flippant comments about people's health, especially people who have, have health needs. Thanks for listening to two men in the middle. Right. Make sure to give us a five-star right, review wherever you get your podcast. Check out our website at two men in the Drop us an email at two men in the middle at gmail.com or tweet at us at two men in the middle. We'll see you next week.